0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net Now Jack worked for his boss uh, whose name was Jacob and Jacob was a nasty man. He overworked Jack, shouted at him all the time and didn't allow him to take holidays. Now the tragedy was, that Jack and Jacob lived next door to each other, which meant that Jack was not free from his his boss, even when he was at home. His boss used to ask him to run errands, sometimes late into the night. Now, of course, the only reason why Jack was still working for Jacob was he needed a job, he needed some money. He was desperately looking for another job. And by God's grace, he found one. So he left his old job and joined the new one. A few weeks later, at around 10pm in the night, he hears a knock on his door and there's Jacob at his door and he demands that he goes into the supermarket to buy him some beer. What do you think Jack should do? Should he serve John now that he's left his old job? No, of course not. What he should do is, he should tell John, Jacob in no uncertain terms, I do not serve you any longer. And that's exactly what Paul is asking asking us to do or telling us in this passage. Read uh, Romans 6.18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So, verse 14, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So he's saying three things, you were slaves to sin, you you are slaves to God, so don't serve your old master, but serve God. Now before we go any further, what is a slave? A slave is a person who belongs to his master, who has absolute authority on him. Aristotle describing slavery in Rome says, slaves are living tools just like tools are inanimate slaves. So here's my question. Do you think you are a slave? Do you feel like a slave? A slave either to sin or God? My aim in this sermon is to convince you that you are a slave. Uh, You're a slave to sin if you're not a Christian and you're a slave to God if you are. Once I've done that, we'll look at a few implications of these truths on our lives. So let's start by looking at slavery to sin. Firstly, our experience and the word of God bear witness to the fact that we choose to do sin, right? Else, for example, in 1 Peter 4.3, it says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is not measuring to God's standards, not giving God the worship and love that is due to him. And the Bible declares that all of us have voluntarily chosen to sin. But on the other hand, the Word of God also says that we are not able to do anything but sin. See, for example, Romans 8, verses 6 to 8, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. For those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. Notice the cannot in this verse. Paul is saying that it is not possible for a person whose mind is governed by the flesh, that is, those who don't have the Spirit of God, those who do not belong to Jesus, to please God. So what is it? Do people choose to sin? Or are they slaves to sin? How can both be true? Let me give you an illustration to help you understand this. If we were under slavery, for example, in the Americas a few hundred years ago, we would know without a doubt that we are slaves. Every day, our desires would clash with what we are required to do. We would desire freedom. We know that we are a slave, and we wait for the day, if it, was, if it would ever come, when we would be free. Our dream is freedom, an impossible dream, but that's our dream, right? But imagine that a slave owner discovers a recipe for a magic potion. When when the slaves are given this magic potion, the slave owner is able to change the desires of his slaves. They want to do the will of their master, their hearts are changed in such a way that now their dreams are changed. Instead of dreaming for freedom, they dream about serving their master. They are being beaten, exploited and killed slowly, but they still want to serve their master. They, they They want to because they are slaves. Not slaves in the sense of they are required to do something, but it's much more insidious kind of slavery. If a person comes along and says, Come on, I'll rescue you, I'll set you free. They do not want freedom because they are happy under their miserable state of slavery under a cruel tyrant. Slavery to sin is not slave, a slavery where sin tells you, do this against your will. No, it is much more dangerous. Slavery to sin is an enslavement and corruption of our desires so that we freely and consciously choose to do sin we have no desire for God and the things of God in fact we hate him and hate the truth about God that's what it means to be a slave of sin but how do people end up in slavery to sin read Romans 6 verse 17 but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Writing to the church at Rome, Paul says, You used to be slaves of sin. That was our natural state. In the previous chapter, in Romans 5.12, he says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, he is referring to the first man, Adam, here, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. The meaning of this verse has been debated through church history and we don't have time to go into details, but some things are quite clear. When Adam sinned, death entered the world. And this death not only came to Adam, but to all people born of Adam. So we were born to die, essentially because we were born sinners, slaves to sin. The bottom line is this friends, we don't have to work hard to become slaves of sin. From the time we are born, our natural state is is of slavery to sin. Our desires are corrupted and enslaved so that we have an God-opposing disposition. It is something like being born to parents who are slaves. What are you if you're born to slaves? Slaves, right? So you would ask me, what's the problem with slavery to sin? Read verse 20 and 21 with me, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. The problem is that slavery to sin leads to death, not only physical death, but an eternity of separation from God, eternal death. The problem is that God is angry with sinners. The problem with our sin is that we have rejected an all-loving, compassionate, glorious, life-giving, kind, merciful God. And we do not want to know Him. We say to Him, I do not want you in my life. Or we say to Him, I want you only if you act by my standards. You take care of me and I'll worship you. Or, as we say As we looked at a few weeks back, we say to him, I'm not that bad. Uh, I'm going to earn your favor. I do not want to owe you anything. Not knowing that what God requires of us, first of all, is worshipful dependence on him. So God's wrath is on us. Romans 1.19 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And John 3:36 says whoever believes in the son that is Jesus has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them This is how Jonathan Edwards explained the wrath of God He says the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being drunk with your blood. He says, some have imagined and pretended that God's promises are effectual for a man in his natural state. If that man is truly earnest in his seeking and knocking, but it is visibly clear that God is under no obligation to keep such a person from eternal destruction, not even for one moment. It doesn't matter how religious the man is or how many prayers he makes, until he believes in Christ, God is not obligated in any way to protect you. Are you afraid yet? An all-powerful God is ready to execute justice on you." My prayer is that God's grace would frighten the hell out of us today. God come and teach us to be afraid before relieving our fears. How do people get saved then? How can anybody escape from the terrifying grip of sin? Is there an escape? from sin and this uh, awful prospect of God's justice executed on us? Of course there is, praise God there is. Read verse 17 again with me. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your religions. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It is possible to be set free. How? In verse 4, four onwards, Romans explains the, Paul explains this idea. Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. God has rescued you. How did he do that? Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he rose up from the dead. And when we put our trust in Jesus, It's as if we were put on the cross with him, and we were buried with him, and we rise up with him. We rise up new people. We are set free from sin. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Now Christians in this room are going, ah, I don't feel like I'm a slave to righteousness. I I don't feel like I'm a slave to obedience. Let me give you an illustration to give you a flavor of what slavery to obedience looks like. Imagine a husband getting ready for an important day at work. He gets ready, he has his breakfast, picks up his bag and realizes he's getting late. He's about to open the door when he remembers that he's forgotten an important file that he needs in his study. So he rushes back up, picks up his folder comes down, his mind is full of anxiety about the meeting that he has. He opens the door to leave and his wife says, Honey, would you please mind taking the trash out as you go? The husband is furious. (laughs) He lashes out at his wife, says some very unkind things, which by the way take more time than the time it would have taken to take out the trash. (laughs) So he says something hurtful, slams the door, gets into his car and drives off, all the while feeling very justified, snug and satisfied. What does that woman think of herself? I'm happy I brought her a peg or two down. He doesn't think a second thought about her after that through the day. This man is a slave to sin. Now what's, what does a slave of obedience do? Same scenario. As he's going out of his house, his wife says, honey, will you please take the trash out as you're going? The man gets furious and lashes out at his wife, and this has happened many times in our house, (laughs) Uh, and reminds her of how she has made his life miserable, how instead of saying goodbye with a kiss, all she remembers every day is that he needs to take the trash out. (laughs) He slams the door, and gets into his car. Does he look like a slave of obedience? But as soon as he does that, it's as if a heart has gone through his, a knife has gone through his heart. He shouldn't have said that. His heart is in a turmoil. He knows that he needs to say sorry, but he resists that thought. He gets into his car, drives off. He works, he gets into his office, but his heart is restless. The Spirit of God is telling him, no, you didn't do right. You need to apologize. But no, he's resisting it. But God keeps pursuing him till he rings up his wife and makes up with her. This guy is a slave to obedience. His heart wouldn't rest till he obeys. Not only that, the Spirit of God keeps pursuing him and showing, sin, showing him sins in his life which he needs to overcome. Areas and parts of his life that have still not come into submission to God. The Spirit of God relentlessly keeps pursuing this man as he keeps increasing in obedience and conformity to what God wants him to be, like Jesus. He is not free, he is a slave to God, and God is not going to leave him alone till every area of his life is submitted to him. Christians, don't we all know how frustrating it is when you think that you're very holy and bam, God opens a door and you see a huge amount of sin and sinful tendencies in your heart? Another room full of sin which you didn't even know existed? God is relentless in pursuing your holiness. But at the same time, what a security there is in knowing that God knew all this sin that you had in your heart before He saved you. We didn't know it, but God knew it. He knows each one of them, and He's not going to leave us alone till you are what He wants you to be, until you have the holiness without which you will not see God. Sorry. Friends, have you tasted this new life? Have you come to Jesus in faith and asked him to rescue you from the slavery of sin? Do you want to become slaves of God instead of slaves to sin? Do you want this newness of life? Jesus says to you today, come to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, be my slave, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." So what is the value of what I've said in life? How do these truths apply to our lives? Let me suggest a few ways. Let's look at verse 16, Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. If you were in ancient Rome and you were sitting in the marketplace and you uh, see three men approaching and you know just by the demeanor that two of them are free men and one of them is a slave. And you want to figure out whose slave, uh, who, who does the slave belong to out of those two men, what would you do? Easy, right? Just observe them for a while and see whose commands the slave is obeying. He's a slave to the one he obeys. And that's just the same thing that Paul is saying here. We are slaves to the one we obey. The mark of a slave is that he obeys his master. In fact, Paul goes further than that, stating that you become a slave of the person you obey. Having been rescued from sin and become a slave of God, would you return to slavery to sin? God forbid! 1 Peter 2.20-22 says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ." And are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Another thing that needs to be noticed here is that there is no middle ground. You're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of God. You cannot be neutral. In fact, if you're not serving God actively, you're serving sin. Why do I say that? Look at verse 16 again. The two choices that are being presented here are slaves to sin and being slaves to obedience. That is, you can obey, and be slaves to God, or you cannot obey or disobey and be slaves to sin. There is no third alternative between obedience and disobedience. So Christian, beware of lethargy and listlessness in your walk with God, for when you wane in your efforts towards God, you are serving sin. Let's read verse 19 for another exhortation. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. I want to point out two things to you here. First, notice that Paul is asking us to offer ourselves a sin in a particular manner. Just as you offered yourselves as slaves to sin. How did you offer yourselves as slaves to sin? With joy and abandon and great enthusiasm, right? You never thought of the consequences of your sin. The fact that you were rebelling against God. In the same manner, offer yourselves to God without being hindered by sin and Satan. Easier said than done, right? My fear is, brothers and sisters, that we have become complacent because we have believed half the gospel. We know that by grace, God has saved us from an eternity in hell to an eternity with him. But we have not believed that this salvation is accompanied by by a change in our status and nature. We are new creatures, slaves to God, believe it and live like it. And when you do that, you will find your experience matching up with your identity. Here's what M- Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. He says, As you go on living the righteous life and practicing it with all your might and energy and all your time and everything else, you will find that the process that went on before in which you went from bad to worse and became viler and viler, is entirely reversed. You will become cleaner and cleaner and purer and purer and holier and holier and more and more conformed to the image of the Son of God. Let me take a very concrete example and dwell on it for a moment. We all know that we, read, we need to read our Bibles and pray every day, right? But isn't it a struggle every day? Why is it that we have time to spend on Facebook but not in memorizing scripture? Why is it that our minds don't stay in one place long enough to meditate or study a passage of the Bible? Why is it that we find that we are sleepy when we get on our knees to pray? My guess is, in many cases it is because we have not embraced our identity. We believe Satan when he tells us, "Ah, you are not really interested in these things, come on." Christian. Embrace who you are. You are a new creature. You have a new heart that can see, indeed wants to love God. You are no longer enslaved to sin. Don't believe Satan when he tells you lies. Decide now that you are going to live out your identity, no matter who tells you otherwise. In conclusion, let me give you an illustration. Consider a typical British countryside scene, with two fields enclosed by high rock walls. Every person begins life in one of these fields. A field ruled over by Satan. We have no chance of scaling the walls and escaping the field on our own. But God in His grace reaches down and takes us out of that Satan-dominated field and sets us down in an adjacent field. A field ruled by Christ and righteousness. A decisive change has happened in our position, right? We are in a whole new relationship, whole new relationship to sin. However, we can still hear Satan calling from across the wall, from that old field where we used to live. Out of long habit, we sometimes still obey him, out of instinct, because our instincts are trained to obey Satan. Even though we don't have to, we are still not used to listening to the voice of our new master, God. What we need to do is move away from that wall and retune our instincts. Christian, a decisive change has happened in your life. Satan has no control over you. Let him not fool you into believing that you are still his slave. Still his slave. Listen and obey God actively with all your heart. In time, your old habits will die and you will start recognizing the imposter's voice for what it is. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for setting us free from the slavery to sin and making us slaves to God. And in fact, not just slaves, but sons and friends We thank you for the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, through whom we have died to sin and have been raised to new life, through whom we are set free from the bondage of sin to serve you. Lord, help us to live lives that reflect this reality. Let not our disposition, our feelings, Satan or others tell us otherwise. Help us to actively serve you and listen to you. We do not want to serve Satan or sin. We want to serve you. Give us grace and help us. Help us to be watchful and prayerful so that we recognize when Satan and sin are trying to exercise the authority that they do not have on us. We pray that our instincts might be trained to listen to Jesus. Forgive us our unbelief, Lord. Give us faith, Lord, to believe the full gospel. Not just that our sins are forgiven, but that we are new people. We pray this in the name of our most precious loving Saviour, Redeemer and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more, or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.